find your place in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, as we are working our way through the truths of the Sermon on the Mount. Today we are on happy, or blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. So find your place in Matthew chapter 5, and let's pray together, and then we'll stand and read the text. Father, we thank you for the joy of gathering together in your name. And we pray that as you've looked at our lives this week, that you have been pleased, that our words have been pleasing to you, our thoughts, the meditation of our heart has been pleasing to you, or that our actions have been pleasing, and that we would have remembered that we are always and forever in your presence. So reminded of how your word teaches us that even our thoughts are known before you before we even think them. And so thank you for being such an awesome, omnipotent God. And it's to you that we worship, and it's to you that we bring our praises today. Now may you open our hearts and give me freedom of speech as I try to articulate the truth of your word today. And may our ears be open to hear what you have to say. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's stand together and read our text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Now, we're working our way through each of these Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus, in his own way, may have uh, elaborated more on them, as I alluded to last week. Some people have said that there was more that Jesus talked about in this sermon. I don't know. This is what the Lord left us with, and this is enough. Amen. So uh, that's what we're attacking here right now. now we've been, as we've been looking at the sermon, I hope it's become really apparent to you that what Jesus is doing here is he's making a dividing line between those people who are of the world and those people who truly belong to the kingdom. And beloved, let's just make sure that we are really hearing that, that there is a distinction between the people who belong to the kingdom of heaven and the people who do not. The reality of this life is, is that there is an eternal kingdom that's waiting for all of those people who have put their hope and their trust in Christ and that there is an eternal place of damnation waiting for those that have not. There's really only one of two places that we're going to be. And I just can't emphasize that enough. And I think this is what Jesus' whole ministry was about when he came, is to tell us that there's a distinction between the people who belong to him and the people who belong to Satan. And so we're seeing that as he's going through his sermon now, that the people who make up his kingdom are different. They're different people. Their thinking is different. Their actions are different. The way they live their lives are different. Now, there's going to come a day, and I hope you hear me with this. There's going to come a day where we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account for everything that we've said we've known. In other words, there is a day of reckoning. I'm not trying to be scary. I'm not trying to be uh, un-Christmas-like. I'm not trying to take away from the joy of it. In fact, I'm trying to do just the opposite is to remind us of what God has said, that there will be great joy for those who belong to him, but there will not be great joy for those that don't. It's a very simple message, and it's reiterated over and over and over again in the text of Scripture. And this is what Jesus is doing here as he is preparing, as he is beginning his ministry. And so let's make sure that we are thinking about our own hearts and our own souls as we listen to what Jesus is saying. Now, Part of the purpose contextually was uh, why Jesus was preaching the way he was is because his own people, the Jews, had missed this. 
They were the religionists. They were the ones who had the knowledge of the scriptures. They were the ones who sat under the teaching of God's people throughout the centuries. And when Jesus came, they missed who he was. And he didn't want his people to miss who he was. But they did. They believed and focused on the wrong things. And all too often we do the same thing. We miss Jesus in a lot of ways. There are many people who will stand before the Lord one day and give an account for their life and say, but, 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 but. And the Lord will say, I never knew you. I never knew you in your heart. It's not that he doesn't know us. That's not the issue. It's that he knew that that person never knew him. That's what he's saying. And so everything about the Jews for them was external. They thought that what was important was what everybody could see, how important they were, what kind of role they were playing, how educated they were, what their prayers were like. And this is why Jesus attacks them at various places throughout the text of Scripture because he was saying to them, that's not what a person of my kingdom is concerned about. What my kingdom is concerned about or the people of my kingdom are concerned about is the inner heart the inner soul of the person. And so Jesus basically comes along and dismantles the entire Jewish religion. He just separates it piece by piece as he goes through the three years of his ministry doing just what I said, separating the true believer from the false believer. If you wanted to keep a theme in your mind throughout the reading of Scripture, it would be the dividing or the plow point that's being pulled by the Spirit of God through the holy ground, if you will, of the earth and separating the people, those who belong to him and those who don't. If you read the Scripture with those lenses on, you'll see what I'm talking about. Notice Jesus says that my kingdom is made up of people who have no righteousness of their own. And this is really the theme also of the sermon itself, is that these are people who know it, and so they come to him as beggars, starving people, almost hiding their faces in shame of their unrighteousness and reaching out a poor beggar's hand to the king and asking him to forgive them and to have pity on them. And so, as Jesus is saying in the first Beatitudes, that that is the poor in spirit. And because they see themselves as poor and wretched and blind and naked spiritually, they mourn over their condition. There's a reaction internally to what they recognize in their character, in their spiritual destitute lives. They recognize that, and so they mourn over their own unrighteousness and look to God for His righteousness and the power that God has in making them clean and pure in His presence, having no confidence in themselves but having great confidence in God. You want to live as a true believer? Live as a person who has no confidence in your own righteousness, but in all confidence of God, who has the ability to make us righteous. And all the while they hunger and thirst for this righteousness, that they're never satisfied, that they have enough righteousness of God. Not that they're looking for their own righteousness to be conjured up, but they're wanting more and more of the blessedness of God and His righteousness and so they trust in his power to do just that. And this is what Jesus is teaching because he knows that anyone who is outside of the parameters of what he's teaching, as he's defining for the listener the box, if you will, of what the kingdom of God is, he knows 
that for any person who is outside of those parameters is not a believer, is not a true Christian, will not be in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's a very simple guide for us as we've been going through these Beatitudes the last several weeks. It's a checklist as the Spirit of God is laying before us and saying, look, examine yourself. See what your spiritual character is like. Measure it according to the God's holy word. And then identify what needs to happen. Repent. That was the message of John the Baptist, right? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus came preaching the same message. Repent. Turn. Come back to me or come to me. And so Jesus is teaching all of this. And the point again is the Jews needed to see their inner condition. They had to see it. Beloved, you and I have to see it. We have to be very well aware of our bankruptcy and the fact that we are destitute of anything that is righteous before the Lord and reach out to Him. And again, all of that, unfortunately, flew in the face of everything that the Jews believed. Everything that they believed would be making them righteous. But every person needs to see that or they will not be a part of God's kingdom. And by the way, just as a sampling, the Apostle Paul gave the clearest of all, in my opinion at least, of the difference between the person in their flesh and the person in their spirit. Let's just look at it in Galatians chapter 5 for a minute. I preached on this a couple years ago. But just as a reminder, if you want a checklist, if you're a person who needs some visuals, this is a good one. Galatians 5.19, the deeds of the flesh are evident. You want to know what the flesh operates like or how to be recognized? Immorality. Okay, and There's a lot of things that fit under that. Impurity, sensuality, and by the way, those three all deal with the area of sexual lust. Idolatry, that's the worship of anything other than God. Sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy. Now these are very important because you see these kinds of things coming out on a regular basis, don't we? When our flesh is troubled and bothered by something or someone... Typically what happens is we react with outbursts of anger or jealousy. There are disputes among us. There are dissensions. There are factions that are created. And so the Lord is saying, listen, I didn't come to just trick you into the way life should be. I'm telling you straight up. If you just listen to what I'm telling you and pay attention to what I'm showing you, you'll see your own flesh in operation. But the glory of it all is he didn't stop there. Notice verse 22, but he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, listen, this is what my people are like, is love and joy, hearts of joy, hearts of peace and patience with one another, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And Paul was so clear, if you back up just a couple verses at the end of his fleshly discussion there, he says there that those who practice such of these things, the fleshly things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't fall into those traps sometimes. But what the Lord is really saying is that those who live their lives on a regular basis, falling into the traps of the flesh need to examine themselves. And guess who that is in this room? Every one of us, right? Every one of us. So I cannot emphasize enough the distinction, beloved, of what it means to be a person of the kingdom. Now I'm highly emphasizing this because of some events that happened this week. I'm not going to go into detail with that. But time and time again, I find and meet people who believe in their hearts, 
that they are followers of Christ, but their lives do not reflect it. And so the greatest attribute to the life of godliness is the reflection of what we believe from our hearts in our actions. We've said it time and time again. What's in the well comes up in the bucket, right? You cannot say that you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering in the heart and it not come out in the actions. If it's real, it'll come out. If it's not real, it'll stay hidden and it'll just come out in thoughts and words, but there will be no actions to support it. So my hope, beloved, is that when the day comes that we are standing before the Lord, that I will be able to look back as your pastor and say, yes, Lord, this one is, this one is, this one is, and not with great sadness in my heart have to say to the Lord, yes, I agree with you, Father, that person never was truly born again. Now, I don't have that ability. I'm not God. I can't tell what God sees. I don't know those things. But all I can do is look at the Scripture with you and identify what the Lord is saying so that we're as clear as we possibly know how of who a true believer is. Is that clear for us? Very, very important. Now, let's get on to the next beatitude. Jesus, in fact, is going to make a shift here. The first four have been dealing with the inner soul, the inner heart of the person. Poor in spirit, mourning, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, meek or gentle within themselves. Listen to that. But now Jesus comes to another one, and he's going to start to deal with the latter ones here, the Beatitudes of the external. What comes from this? And so this is where I'm coming from this morning, is that we see the inner working of the heart first, and from the inner working comes the external works of the hearts. And so notice Jesus says the happiest people, the happiest people are people who see their depravity and their great need before God and receive what they need so they in turn become merciful. In other words, they've seen themselves in the light of the Spirit of God. The spotlight of the Lord has been shown on their hearts and they begin to see their inner heart and so they know what kind of mercy the Lord has shown to them and in turn they cannot help but show mercy themselves because of what the Lord has done. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. In other words, this divine act of God showers people spiritually who are wretched in their sin. And God, by his own will and his own purposes, showers them with mercy. And because he does that, those people in turn shower others with mercy. I've received mercy, and so I will give mercy. Now, the Jews, again, tried to show their righteousness through external means. They really believed that. But it was all external. That was the problem. And so they were out of balance on the other way. Instead of their hearts being affected, they were so external in their showing of things that they missed the point. And they did that through their own pride. And so if the heart is not changed to be conformed to the Spirit of God, then it's going to only reflect what really is there. And what's there is pride, number one the desire to be God, to rise above God, because that's what the father of pride is all about, Satan himself, right? That's what he wanted to do. When he was kicked out of heaven, he was kicked out because he wanted to be God. God says, that's not going to happen. Can't be two gods, and since I am the only God, you've got to leave. You're a created being. Well, that's why Jesus says of those who are of the world, you are of your father, the devil. And so the Jews were of certainly, now I'm not saying all of them, I'm saying the biggest classification. 
was pride. And it was an out-of-the-control kind of thing, out of a great deal of selfishness and a lust for power. You see the dichotomy there? A great distinction. So mercy basically means to give help to the afflicted. Now we're talking spiritually here that manifests itself in outward actions. But mercy is that quality of character, if you will, that desires to rescue the helpless. Those that have no ability in themselves to do what they need to do. Again, which is what God did for us. To have compassion that goes from a thought to actually following through with action to anyone who has need. And it is very unselfish. It's not doing in order to be recognized, but to reach out to who has need. It's a selfless concern for those that have nothing expressed in selfless deeds. So merciful people of God are always looking to give themselves away, to be a blessing to others, to give their hearts away to those in need. And it then is reflected through money, through time, through possessions, through various actions of sorts, through energy, even through the emotional state that we may have to give to others. One author said this, commentator rather, said, mercy is meeting people's needs. It is not simply feeling compassion, but showing compassion. Not only sympathizing, but giving a helping hand. Mercy is giving food to the hungry, comfort to the bereaved, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, companionship to the lonely. It is therefore one of the loveliest and noblest of all virtues. What a beautiful statement. To be merciful, in other words, beloved, is to get inside of the skin of another person. In order to really be godly in mercy, it is to separate yourself from your own internal being and look so clearly into the soul of the person that you are in front of and try to discern what's really going on in their heart and their lives. Get inside them and feel what they feel. Experience what they experience. Look at what they're dealing with. And one of the best examples of this is the Good Samaritan. So let's take a look at that this morning just for a moment. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. Jesus is telling a parable here, or a story, so that they, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, if you will, so that the people would get it, so the Jews would get it, that they would understand his point. So we're in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that was already a problem. <clears throat> and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. Now, you and I hear stories of this kind of nature all the time. We listen to the news, we see the problems around the world, and we have the same reaction that you might have as you read this text of Scripture, which anybody would in their right mind if they have any kind of heart at all is, oh my goodness, that's terrible. And you start to envision the scene there. Now, we only have words from Jesus on a page. We don't have the text. We don't have YouTube from Jesus. We don't have the video. So we paint this picture in our mind and, and, and put ourselves there. And notice this in verse 31. By chance a priest, this was a religious person, was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise also a Levite, who, by the way, was also the, one of the people who was 
called of God to be a particular tribe of the priestly line. They were the ones who were responsible for the tabernacle. When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side also. But a Samaritan, now listen, if you don't know anything about the historical text here, a Samaritan was a half Jew, half Gentile. And so the Jews hated those people. To them, they were the ones that you were not to intermarry with. So in their hypocrisy, they lived a very hypocritic life, uh, a life of hypocrisy, but yet hated the people who interbred with the Jews themselves. And so when this came along, you can imagine the the stirring of the heart of the, the religionist listening. When a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. But he didn't leave it there. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, which is about a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers? Or the robber's hands. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And so Jesus is basically just telling a story here to try to get the point across as to how the person of God is really to live in their giving of mercy. And so the idea is this Samaritan who was hated by the Jews felt deeply within himself the need to help this hurting man, but he didn't just feel the need, he did something. He actually made it happen. And I just have to say, beloved, for us as Americans, uh, we're not the best at actually helping people. We talk a good talk a lot of times. And we have a big heart. But unfortunately, in our culture today, we're so busy with our own lives, we very seldom step out of the boundaries and actually help people. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we've pushed so hard over the years to do things as a church and to get people involved because we know how challenging it is to actually make things happen. Again, we have a big heart. But the reason, the things we'll be judged for are not the heart, it's the action from the big heart. They both have to go together. Again, to the Jew, this was absolutely unspeakable, and that's why it had such an impact. There's no way they were going to help somebody that they didn't care about. But Jesus is saying, no, to be a God-honoring, truly merciful person is to not just feel the compassion or be sympathetic, but actually do something with what you're feeling. So let's just say it this way. If you want to define mercy, mercy is meeting a need, not just feeling it. So you can talk all day about being a merciful person, but mercy is not just in the emotions. Mercy is turning and doing something about it. Now, let's talk about some wrong reasons for showing mercy. Now, some people say, oh, yeah, I want to be merciful. I am merciful. And there are those who have a great uh, propensity for mercy. But sometimes it can be misguided. People will often say, "Um, I show mercy, so don't be criticizing me for not showing mercy. But the problem is their mercy is usually based on one of two things. One of those is showing mercy to help people they love, Hence the point of Jesus' parable. And secondly, showing mercy just so they'll receive mercy. And we fall into one of those two traps. So as we think about the first one, oftentimes people will love each other so much that they will show great mercy to each other, but not to anybody else. In other words, this was the problem that the Jews had. 
And that's why it rang so loudly in their ears. They didn't mind helping each other. But when it came to somebody who was a little different and somebody they didn't really like much, or really in this case hated, they weren't about to show any mercy to them. And so God, plowing the ground again, spiritually says, listen, the people in my kingdom don't divide things like that. They don't divide people like that. They look for those that need mercy, and they give to them mercy. So Jesus said, you remember, love everyone, even those who persecute you, even those who are ugly to you, even those who despitefully use you. In fact, Matthew 5, we'll see this later, Let's just look at what he said. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was what had happened. They'd gotten to that place. Hey, you know that guy over there that you really have a hard time with? Don't worry about him. Just let him go. But make sure you take care of the people you love. Those are your real neighbors. Jesus says, but I say to you in verse 44, no, love your enemies. He's applying the same principle to even the people that we don't like at all. And pray for those who persecute you. Why, Jesus? Well, he answers the question in verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the same point? It's always the same thing. Jesus is not sitting back. I never see Jesus in my mind sitting in his office trying to come up with something that's going to be so big and life-changing and altering that everybody's going to go, wow, and they finally get it. No, what was life-altering was that God came to the earth in human form. That should have been enough. And secondly, that the God of the created order of all things taught about his kingdom. It's the same message. That's why Jesus could summarize all of it by saying, here, love God with all your heart, everything about you, and love your neighbor as yourself. The problem was the human flesh said, okay, well, I'll define who my neighbor is. I'll decide. And it's certainly not that person that I don't like and the one that doesn't like me. And Jesus said, that's where you're wrong. In my kingdom, that's not how it works. In my kingdom, you love everybody. You love everybody. Notice he says, for if you love those who love you and reward, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? There it is. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? In other words, you don't stand out at all. Don't the Gentiles do the same? In other words, the unsaved world? Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that's laying down the gauntlet. That's laying down the wall. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you really want to show love to somebody, do what God does and love everybody. Love everybody, even those who are against you, because that's the way he is. Now, concerning the second point about showing mercy to receive mercy, there are a lot of people who show mercy because they really enjoy the feeling of getting some mercy or some sense of love back. And so they will do things. In fact, we were joking uh, just recently about something uh, that somebody said that, well, you know, we do things, and sometimes husbands are real good about this. They'll say to their wives, honey, I'm hurting here or there, and they really just want a little bit of affection. right? It's that kind of, I'm going to show you a little bit of uh, concern so that maybe in the end I'll get something back from you. It's the same kind of idea here, and people do this with other people. But if that concept, if, if the concept were true that mercy shown gets mercy back, then Jesus should have had mercy heaped on him by the entire world, right? 
He became the greatest example of one who showed mercy to everyone that he came in contact with. I mean, he healed people that didn't deserve it. He raised people from the dead. There was one scene where Jesus is walking through a village. He didn't even know the lady, but he sees the funeral procession and he has such mercy on the people. He stops and he lays his hand on the son and the son gets out of the coffin because he just is a God who has mercy for those who need mercy. The problem was, if people held to the truth or believe in the truth that mercy shown equals mercy returned, then Jesus would have never been put on a cross. He would have been elevated for simply nothing more than the fact that he was a merciful God. And so that's a very false thinking and a very wrong way to look at how God would have us to live. But here's the good news. When we show mercy to everyone, the person may never show mercy back to us. That's not really the point. The point is we are to be a reflector of our Heavenly Father. And guess who will show mercy to us when we show mercy to others? Our Father. He sees everything. And that's why we don't grade ourselves spiritually by saying, okay, let me check the block here and go out and be nice to somebody, show somebody mercy so they'll show mercy back to me. But we do it simply because that's the way our Father is. We're reflecting who he is. Jesus said in Matthew 6, If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But listen, if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You see, so there is a correlation here, not between man and man, but between man and God. When we show mercy to someone else, God returns the favor to us in mercy. Now notice, this beatitude is not teaching, again, that mercy given to men will bring mercy to, from, from men, but you will receive mercy from God. Now, you'll see in your notes there that I had taken out, I had put a section in there that I've decided to leave out until maybe next time. We'll cover that at some point. I'm still praying through that. It's just a lot of information that I don't think we have time for this morning. So we're going to skip over that part and go down to the source of mercy. So shouldn't be rocket science for us right now. Who's the source of mercy? God is, right? That's not a hard question to answer. And for those who've been justified by Christ's death, will be merciful themselves. They will reach out in mercy. If someone offends us, what is our response? Get a big stick, right? Get the bigger stick. Now, so somebody doesn't edit this and put me on a television show, let me be clear here, for you all at least, I can't determine what the world will do, but let's just be clear here that that's not the right answer. right? That's not how we're to operate. If someone offends us, what are we to do? We're to be merciful. I want you to think about this now because each of you, just like I do, have relationships in this life that you've struggled with. And your reaction has often wanted to be anything but mercy. Jesus said, happy, blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. So when we are treated in some ill way, we are to be merciful. If somebody hurts us, we are to be merciful. That's the response of God's people. If someone makes a mistake and fails to pay a debt, we're to be merciful. We are to be merciful people. We're not to categorize our mercy. We're not to qualify our mercy. 
we are to be mercy showers. Not because the other person will reciprocate that mercy necessarily, but because our Father is merciful. We are to be sympathetic. We are to be gentle. We are to be forgiving. We are to be considerate. We are to be generous. We are to be gracious. We are to be merciful. That should be the primary premier primary thing that we are to think about. Again, not because of man or woman. Now, those who are unjust to us, God will take care of. God will deal with that in his own way. So what you want to make sure of and what I want to make sure of is that we're not on that side of the, the ticket, right? We're not on that side of the wall so that one day we stand before the Lord and he parades in front of us the scenarios of where we should have been merciful but we weren't. We were operating out of our flesh. We don't want to be on that side. We want to do all that we can to follow the will of the Lord and to be the people that God has called us to be because God will take care of those people. And you know the scripture that says every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Every person will hear what the Lord is saying, whether they believe now so or not. So we are to be merciful. And when we are insulted, we show mercy. It's far different from the world, isn't it? We reach out to those who treat us with evil intent. With what? With mercy. From the heart. And listen, it's not the kind of thing that says, okay, I'll be merciful. Here, take this. That's not mercy from the heart. Listen, let's put the others together. Let's go back to the other Beatitudes. If we have the inner heart that's poor in spirit and meek and gentle, those kinds of things, and we're realizing the need for righteousness that we have, then our mercy will flow from us because we realize we've been shown great mercy. Great mercy. And this ability can only really come from God. There's no way we can truly be merciful in the way that God is proclaiming for us to be merciful here unless God were doing it in our hearts. And that's where we often fail. When we attempt mercy, but we're not really merciful, it's because we're coming at it from a fleshly angle. We're letting our sin drive all of that. So a true Christian shows mercy, how? Practically, in attitude. In attitude, number one. Our attitude needs to change. You know, as parents... Those of you who are parents or grandparents know this, that one of the main subjects that's often talked about in the life of bringing up a child is you need to change your attitude, right? Do you know the Spirit of God often says to us, hey, you need to change your attitude because we often act in a fleshly way. And so the Spirit will say, number one, if you're going to be my people and you're going to be truly merciful people, you have to change your attitude because that's where your heart really reflects itself. In other words, in your attitude, don't hold a grudge. That's easy, isn't it? I'm so glad that nobody has ever done that in this room. Never hold any resentments. Don't be excited about somebody else's weaknesses. Don't go around and talk about somebody who has had other issues. Don't talk about somebody else's sin. I mean, and the list just goes on and on and on. I could, there's so much. And by the way, you know, beloved, as long as I talk every Sunday morning, I've probably got two more sermons that we could talk about the same subject because there's so much information here. And so I have to try to piece through this sometimes. Again, you may be really struggling with somebody in your life right now. 
And I mean really struggling with them. Well, the heart of the believer for this subject this morning is Jesus is saying to be merciful is we got to be what? Even with the person we're really struggling with. We're to be merciful. To be an example of mercy. Secondly, a great way to practically show mercy is, and this is obvious, is just through the physical. One of the main ways that that often comes up is through homeless people. Charlottesville is filled with a lot of homeless people. Matthew 5 brings this up, and we, we read this earlier, but let's just go over this just again because I think it's a very challenging uh, text of Scripture to think through practically. Notice Jesus now again is saying here, it's the same sermon, by the way. This is all still in the Sermon on the Mount. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Okay? Ever been to court? Ever had anybody that was that upset with you? It's interesting, isn't it, that the play on words almost seems to be here as we use the phrase, um, the, sue your pants off of you. We hear the Lord saying, if somebody wants to sue your shirt off of you, it's the same kind of idea. Our normal recourse is, well, I can get back at that. I'll just turn it back on them. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. You ever thought about that? That at this very moment that the sun is shining on the most wicked of the wicked in the universe, but God allows that to happen. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yeah, the past couple of days we've been complaining about the rain driving because you can't see very well. It's cold out. It's kind of miserable. But the Lord uses that for his own glory even in the unrighteous fields of life. Life. And then he talks about those who love you. What reward do they have? And that's what we read earlier. And by the way, this wasn't new. This wasn't a new teaching by Jesus. This was a very normal teaching by the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 25, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You give him food. If he's thirsty, what do you do? You give him to drink. And notice the subject there. It's not your neighbor here, which is normally connotated as the one I already love, but your enemy. Your enemy. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. And his mercies are over all his works. Our God is merciful to everyone. Spiritually, which really goes directly into this from the, uh, from the physical is, what the Lord is really meaning here is having mercy on the spiritually lost. Have mercy on the spiritually lost. You know, sometimes I think, and I'm afraid even as I examine my own heart, that we're not so concerned about the lost. We kind of show ourselves as people who often are just excited that we're saved. But we have a tendency to forget about the one who's lost. You know, your enemy, that person who doesn't trust Christ, who really doesn't want anything to do with doing what's right, is a person who needs salvation. And that's really the eyes we should be looking at them through. So God says, have mercy on the spiritually lost. And there's lots of scripture I could show you for that. And do something about it. 
Now that starts with prayer, but it could be and should mean that we look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. That's right. Not just the ones we love, but our enemies. Because that's where mercy really shows itself, right? Jesus was just saying this. What is mercy to those who are already loving you and showing mercy back? That's not real mercy. Mercy is shown to those who don't like you. That's what mercy is. To those who can't give back to you in the proper way. And so we often talk about mercy, but I'm thinking we really don't understand it very well. Sometimes when we share with people, we have to confront them. We have to tell them the truth that they may not want to hear. I just had a meeting like that this week with someone that I had to be very clear about their false understanding of the gospel. And I had to say to them, I would never hurt you or try to cause any pain in your life, but I need to tell you that your life is not reflecting the things of God. Your words do, but your life is not reflecting the things of God. Sometimes we have to confront. You see, one of the biggest problems we're having in our culture today is there's no real righteous confrontation. If you look at the school systems today, you've got kids that are running the classroom because there's no confrontation. At least there's no ability to confront. Those people who want to have very limited resources to be able to do so. But we are all the people who we are because of confrontation at some point in our lives, right? We had parents who taught us the difference between right and wrong. And so we have the ability to reason through things. What the Lord is saying here is that if you're going to show mercy, then do it spiritually. But sometimes it's going to mean you've got to point out some things very specifically. Why? Because their eternal destiny is depending on it. That's the reality of it all. What's at stake? Listen, it's far more loving and merciful to be direct with people about their spiritual condition than it is to just say, oh well, sorry for them. Hope they get it sometime. Maybe somebody will talk to them. But we don't often connect the dots that the reason we're thinking about them at all is because the Spirit of God has put them in our heart and says, hey, I want you to do something about it. Me? You want me to do something about it? Yeah. I want you to do something about it. Well, what can I do? Well, you know the gospel, don't you? And I'm pretending I'm God here. You know my truth, right? Yeah. Then go share it with them. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can, Moses. I'm saying Moses because, you know, he had a lot of excuses. And we like to play Moses' role for him. So let's not lose the point here. When we don't go out of our way to share the truth, to rescue people, you know what we're really doing? We're selfishly hoarding the most valuable treasure that mankind has ever been given. That's what we're doing. We're saying, I am so excited to have this glorious treasure of forgiveness in the eternal kingdom given to me, and nobody's going to have it. No. You can't have my treasure. Mine. Mine, mine, mine. You see, when we don't share it openly, that's really what we're doing. 
We're saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've given to me. And I'm so excited. I'm going to be with you in heaven. And all the people that I love that already know this, but I'm not going to share this with anybody because that's a little scary or whatever the answer might be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know? Listen. Do you not know? And that's a great, strong statement. That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you know that? I mean, you could, let's just be Paul here for a second. Do you not know, beloved, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if we were doing an open dialogue here, you would say, Yes, Paul, we get that. We understand that. Do not be deceived then. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty clear. But let's read the next verse. Such were some of you. Hey, somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody did a great act of mercy and stepped outside of themselves for somebody who didn't deserve the gospel. You're part of that first list. But notice what Paul says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. In other words, you were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. If we were looking at another story, we could be like listening to what Jesus says about the unjust servant. Let's read that in Matthew 18. Maybe you haven't heard this for a while. There's a few verses here. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. You still hear the same theme? He's always talking about the, the kingdom, always giving us a picture of the kingdom. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed 10,000 talents, and that evidently was just probably millions of dollars. We could have done the math. I didn't do that, but that's about the amount was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made that way. I mean, that's why it's horrible to be in debt to your creditors, right? So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. I mean, this guy was in a real bind. And the Lord of the slave felt what? Compassion. That's another word for mercy. And released him and forgave him the debt. But notice what the slave did. The slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed a hundred denarii. That's about a hundred days' worth of payment not in comparison to the millions that he owed the king. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me! So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you! But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. And they summoned him, and the Lord said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you asked me to, basically. 
Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave and in the same way had mer- the way I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And notice Jesus' point. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Listen, we are to be merciful. Why? Because our Father was merciful to us. Listen, you may find that scoundrel that you just cannot be around and find very little room in your heart to do anything with except to say, you know what? I am going to do this because my Father was merciful to me. And I hope, beloved, that as you live out your days... Over and over and over again, you are overwhelmed with the sense of God's mercy that he has had for you. And you just can't hold back the tears. As you see where you are in the presence of the holiest of gods, because there is no other God, and yet he had mercy on you. We are to be merciful. Jude 1 says, have mercy on some who are doubting, save others. Snatching them out of the fire, that's not a spiritual saving because we have no ability to save people spiritually, but we can tell them the truth. Some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And when we show mercy, it proves that we are merciful ourselves. And in turn, God will continue to show us mercy. Very simple, very simple message. So much more that I could talk about with this. So much more. But the bottom line simply is, blessed are the merciful. Why? Because their father is merciful. Because they've been rescued by his mercy. Therefore, the only response could be to be merciful themselves. And when we are, we will not necessarily be given back mercy by the people of this world, but our heavenly father will give us mercies every day. Now, some say that this is just talking about the mercy of salvation. Could be that but I rather suspect that it's the mercy of the Lord that he gives to us every day. Have you thought very recently about the breath you just drew? You thought about that? I wonder how many times you breathed since you got in this room. Every breath is a gift from God. Those of us who have lost loved ones and breath leaves them, understand the mercy of the Lord to give us breath to breathe. His mercies are new every day. Amen? William Barclay in his commentary said this. This translation could be, it could be translated this way. Oh, the bliss of those who get right inside other people until they can see with their eyes, think with their thoughts, feel with their feelings. For those who do that will find others do the same for them and will know that that is what God is in Christ Jesus has done for them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your unbelievable mercy. We thank you that in the midst of our doing the best that we know how in this life, you see us as filthy and undone without your holiness, without your righteousness. Thank you for giving us great mercy. Thank you that mercy flows out of your love for us. Thank you that you're a God of forgiveness and you're a God of grace. And Lord, as we struggle with each other throughout the week, throughout the months, throughout the years, whether it be family or friend or whomever it might be, 
Lord, may we be examples of mercy for no other reason than because you are merciful to us. And so, Father, as a church family, we just uh, rejoice in you and we thank you for your goodness to us and pray that you are looking into our hearts and you are finding uh, the truth of your word alive and growing and maturing and becoming examples of what you want us to be for your namesake. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.